America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business and the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host, Ron Baker, and on today's show, we're going to talk about how versus what matters. But before we talk about that, Ron, we've got to talk about our new show opening, Yes, Ed, I'm really excited about this. This is a speech that Ronald Reagan delivered at Moscow State University, which is Mikhail Gorbachev's uh, alma mater, in May 31, 1988, so basically the last year of his presidency. And it's a visually stunning speech because he's standing in front of an enormous bust of Lenin and in front of a mural of... um, the, the Russian Revolution, and he's basically telling these kids at Moscow State University that, you know, ever so nicely, that freedom and technology were going to leave the Soviets on the dustbin of history unless they changed their act, which, of course, they did. And I, I really do think it's one of Ronald Reagan's all-time best speeches. Yeah, it's a fantastic speech, and we, we will post it up on, as part of our, the show notes. It is available from the Reagan Library. And what I find fascinating about the speech run is that the, the, the speech is just beautiful. And even even clearly late in, in Reagan's presidency, and uh, he was definitely getting uh, – wasn't as sharp as he once was. Let's just, just say that. And he's very tired here because he had quite a busy schedule. This was on a summit to Moscow. And so he's kind of, you know, he looks a little bit run down, like he's had a pretty harried schedule. So there's that too. But it is beautifully delivered. (laughs) And and I I can say that really having been part of, a part of the editing team that put together her opening. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. You <laughs> where, lived with that. that where, where uh, I, you know, I, I lived with this 15, well, I guess it's, it's 30 second segment for a, a, the better part of an hour and listened to it innumerable times. And when you, when you listen to a 30 seconds for such a short period of time, you just realize the beauty of the, the pauses and the cadences and, and the breaths uh, and the impact that this was having. So I, you know, go back and, and listen to the whole speech with that in mind, and it's even better. But the the my one of my favorite parts of this this the the uh, speech is the question, the Q and A afterwards. That Thank is also course. part of it, which I is fascinating. 
it, it, those kids asked him some, some really good questions about nuclear weapons and, you know, what was going on at the time with the Cold War. And he just delivered some fantastic answers and he did it with so much empathy. And, you know, he was quoting, Russian uh, literature to them, and and he really spoke uh, on their level. And it, you're right. The whole thing is it is poetry. The speech is just really, really brilliant, and and does really set the tone, which is why we we picked it or for the soul of Enterprise. It's a it's almost a, a perfect encapsulation of what our entire show is about. I I can't. Yeah, we we couldn't find a better line than we're emerging from the economy of the industrial revolution into the economy in mind. I mean, that's exactly what we are talking about, coupled with the fact that there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. I mean, that's why we call this the business and the knowledge economy. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, the, and the huge transformation that we're all so blessed to be a part of. Absolutely. And, and you know, uh, one of the main speechwriters is a guy named Joshua Gilder, who I, I believe is some type of relation to my all-time mentor, George Gilder. Uh, and, you know, obviously, uh, if, if, if they are relatives, then certainly George Gilder had a, had a big influence on this speech. And, and the other line, Ed, where he talks about the economy in mind, that was actually the title of a book that was quite popular written by a guy named Warren Brooks. Um, who also spoke a lot about the knowledge economy and resources and imagination and all of that type of thing. So that's that's who who he's alluding to there. Right. Well, and sp- and speaking of of influential authors and having a profound impact, we're we're going to have a conversation today about a book that really profoundly affected both of us, and that is Peter Block's. I believe seminal work. I don't know if he would agree with that, but the answer to how is yes. And why we titled this show how versus what matters is that in this book block sets up a series of six questions and then contrasts when they're asked with a, a how in front of them and what they should be really transformed to, which is what he calls the, the, the yes question or the what matters question. And we'll talk about each of those questions in turn. It's just some fascinating work, but, I encountered Peter Block for the first time at the recommendation of my mentor, Howard Hansen, who has been on previous show. Uh, and it, really, the book that I first read by Peter Block is called Flawless Consulting, which is still considered to be the Bible in terms of, of consulting theory and practice. In fact, I, I, I teach a class for SAGE that is primarily based, or at least one of the days is primarily based on on that material, and it's just some fantastic stuff. But What's interesting about Flawless Consulting is there's three three editions. I own all three, and I actually refer to all three of them. There's enough differences, one versus the other, that I get meaning and uh, out of that. What is interesting, though, is if you go back to the absolute first edition of Flawless Consulting, you can see the – the, the 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 beginnings the seed that became the answer to how is yes and and how he was he was thinking about this stuff I guess some forty years ago I think the copyright on on flawless consulting was nineteen seventy nine or eighty so it's it's been quite some time that that he's been processing this stuff oh through. really I, I didn't realize it was that old yeah, flawless consulting the original yeah. one yeah yeah wow okay because. Yep. I, and I also I, – I've only read the latest edition, Ed, so I haven't seen some of the differences. But <laughs> my first book 
was put out in six editions, so I know how thinking can evolve, especially in a book where you know you really have to think about it and commit to it. So, yeah, you know, things do change, you know, with each edition. Well, and tell your story about about you encountering Peter Block because it it's, it involves the two of us and really our first meeting. Well, yeah, I think it's a, it's a really funny story because I, I know that your boss at the time at Sage Taylor, uh, you know, he saw me somewhere speaking at a conference, I believe, in Washington D.C. And I think he contacted you and said, "Hey, get a hold of this guy. You you two seem to have stuff in common." I don't, I don't know what he said to you. Maybe <laughs> maybe you can fill me in what he said. But well, was, and knowing Taylor, knowing Taylor, it was probably a just all subject, all caps, and a subject line of an email that said, "Call Ron Baker. Here's his number." That was it. Uh, <laughs> I thought there was some allu- uh, you know, he alluded oh, to the no, fact no, that no, we, no, we, no. we would have some so much in common or whatever. <laughs> but uh, anyway. So you you called me and I believe Ed this was this had to be in May of 2004. So okay. we're looking at uh, over 10 years ago. And one of the first things you said to me was I read two books last year that changed my life. Now, I've learned to take that very seriously when people say to you, you know, this book changed my life or it altered my world view. I I tend to take that very seriously. And you said the first was your book, uh, you know, The Professional's Guide to Value Pricing. And then Peter Block's book, The Answer to How is Yes. And I remember thinking, what a, what a dumb title. But <laughs> <laughs> the answer to how is yes. What, what the heck does that mean? So I, I can't tell you how fast I ran down to Borders or a bookstore Oh my I, gosh! I said, you couldn't get it on Amazon. There was no, you no. I, you know, to your this was, immediately. Yeah, this was this was way before ebook days, and and I said, I want to see who this guy's comparing me to. <laughs> and and sure enough, I, I I think I devoured the book in a couple of days, and, and I, I have to say, I've read a few other things by Peter Block, not as much as you, but not only is 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 this a profoundly deep book and philosophical on a lot of levels. I also think, by far and away, this is his best written book. I agree. It's and it's it's his most succinct book too. It's I mean, it's only what 190 pages. Maybe. Yes. Yeah. So. Yes, and his other books are kind of tomes and 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 can kind of become a little bit redundant after a while. But this one is just it, it's so spot on, and there's so many good things. I I don't even know where where to begin here, but this it, it, it sounds so counterintuitive to say. The answer to how is yes, because we're all used to how questions. How do I do that? Every yep. time you pick up a book, it's how to do this, how to do that. And he's coming at it. His, his epigraph, which I love, says transformation comes more from pursuing profound questions than seeking practical answers. And, yep. I, you know, I, I say this by saying there's nothing more practical than a good theory. Right, you have a good theory. It can be very, very practical and can take a, take care of a lot of the how questions. But he he has flushed out this thinking uh, much deeper than I had ever thought about it. Well, yes, and 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 being involved in several transformational projects in my over my the course of my consulting career, and aren't we almost always right? It's amazing to me how many people though still demand practical answers to transformational questions, and and it. it it's it's amazing to 
see that in play where people say, well, but, you know, how are we going to do this? Well, but we've never done it before. But I know, but how are we going to do it anyway? Right. <laughs> like, well, what, you're, <laughs> you're missing the point. <laughs> nobody's, nobody's figured it out yet. Otherwise, it wouldn't be worth doing. <laughs> and, and, you know, how and practical – it, 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 he's saying basically that you got to value what matters, not just what works. And, and I love that. I mean, something can work fine, but not be consistent with our ideals or our beliefs. And so it's not just a practical matter of how to get something to work. It's w- what do we want to be? What really matters? What is the expression of our highest values? Right. And, We'll talk about this more as we we walk through each of the the six questions. But uh, one of the things that I think that he says that is so important is that how questions are defense mechanisms against change. Right? Yes. And and we will talk about them in turn because there's there are six of these how questions. But they are the 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 the, they, the purpose they serve is to defend us against making actual change. So, and what's, what's bizarre is it's not like people are sitting around meetings like Mr. Burns in, in, um, the Simpsons, you know, let me think about this evil question I can ask, right? (laughs) That they're not doing that. It, this is just as human beings, this is what we do when we are, we are confronted with the, with the possibility of change. We're going to try to figure out a way not to change. And we don't, process that through per se, but the way that we do it is by asking the person who's proposing the change all of the, the, these series of very practical questions. And when we get back from our, our break, we will talk about those practical questions and we'll lay out the, those six questions for you. But first, we want to hear from our sponsor, and Leading Results. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You've experienced it. Marketing and selling has changed dramatically in the last few years. The search engine has completely altered the way customers buy. Your clients are now driving the process their way. At Leading Results, we know how to work with this. We don't just jump in and start doing. Together, we plan your marketing strategy. Install a website that gets results and create lead generation programs that drive sales. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more and to schedule a 30-minute conversation with us. It's a sad fact that fraud is rampant in today's business environment. The headlines scream about once prestigious organizations falling victim to or crumbling due to the consequences of fraud. How do you keep fraud from affecting you and your business? Tune in to Fraud Talk with host Chris Marquet. Chris has over 30 years of fraud investigation experience, business intelligence, and is a renowned security consultant. Chris and his guests will inform you and help keep you from being the next statistic of fraud. Tune in Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You. 
You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, while we're on our break, we got to get a tweet, and I didn't even give out the hashtag on it, Ron, so that's pretty fantastic. Our friend Don uh, asks us a question. Is there a link for the full Reagan speech? And yes, we will post it in the show notes, but also if you just Google, uh, and don't do it while we're on the show. <laughs> don't. We're, we're still talking here. But uh, just Google Reagan and Moscow University, and I believe that you will, will find it on YouTube, so it is available. But for those of you who do want to interact with us, we do uh, monitor Twitter during the show, so pound TSOE is the hashtag. You can also email us at TSOE at Verisage.com, and then for the show notes that I just mentioned, it's Verisage.com slash TSOE, and you can also sign up for our newsletter there, so that way would, we'll send you an email every time we do some kind of an update, whether it's uh, show notes, or we also do a show uh, preliminary uh, to let people know what's coming up in the next week. So, Ron, let's go through the talk about the six questions and the way that block presents this he says it's pretty interesting he's in in business and i think that he's does he goes on to say in consulting but i think it's really in business we only really talk about six questions that's it there's only six and, and Ed, when i saw these i said wow this is so true he's nailed this perfectly and and they are how do you do it how long will it take how much does it cost how do you get those people to change how do you measure it, and how have other people done it successfully? And, and of course, what changes from company to company, industry to industry is the it, right? That's, sure. that's not the same. But the structure, and this is the important part, the, the structure of the questions don't change. So again, they are, how do you do it? How long will it take? How much does it cost? How do you get those people to change? How do you measure it? And how have other people done it successfully? And if you just think through those conversations that you have in your organization on a regular basis, you will, you will notice that these are the questions that people bring up in every single meeting, especially when something is being proposed new, that's new. The, the first thing that you're, the, the proposer is going to be hit with is one of these six eminently practical questions that seem so innocuous and harmless. And of course you need to answer these questions. Yeah. And, and you know, Ed, this is kind of like our, our, our colleague, uh, the late colleague, Paul O'Byrne, he used to talk about the red Volkswagen syndrome that, you know, for the longest time, uh, he'd never noticed these red Volkswagens, but then his wife bought one and now he saw the red Volkswagen everywhere. I have to tell you, every time I, I give a presentation, how in tuned are we to hearing how? Oh, <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, and in fact, I, it's, it is what the word how is now what's called a red flag word for me. Yeah. I, I, I listen to it. I'm listening for it. I will even set up a day or even a, my, my four day program that I do by talking about this first and say, I, I can almost predict it like clockwork by this afternoon, at least one of you will be a- asking me one of these how based questions. And as soon as you say it, I'm going to just make fun. Right. <laughs> sure. right. the, and, and by the way, it's not that these questions that how based questions are wrong and, and shouldn't be ever answered. What, 
what Block says is that they're ill-timed. They're asked too early in the process, and that's really what causes the damage because, as he, as he said, they are defense mechanisms against change. So if you, if you ask and answer these questions too early, well, then nothing's ever going to happen in your organization because you're, you're never going to have the answer to questions about a future proposed change that are practical. You're just not. And, and the other thing, Ed, is they keep, they deflect us, like Block says, from considering our deeper values. Mm-hmm. You know, why do we want to do this? Does this really matter? Is this a price we want to pay? And like you say, yeah, they're a defense against change, but they're also even a defense a- about taking action. It, it, and this is the thing that really struck me about the book is these how questions are, are, are a mechanism that it's kind of like the antibodies in our, in our immune system. They're attacking the outsider when they come in with a new idea. And when you hear these how questions first, that's exactly what people are doing. They have no intention to change. So they're just asking how. Right. And to just continue the furtherance of that point, it's not that they're evil or wrong. It, it, it's just our human nature. Absolutely. Right? I'll, I'll catch myself doing this. So I'm not exempt from when, when somebody brings a new idea to the table that I, I'll pepper them with how questions. Of course I will. And, and sometimes I catch myself and I'll, I'll be able to say, well, I'm, I'm doing to, to you what, what I, what bothers me and others. But sometimes I don't, you know, sometimes I just don't recognize it. Right, right. I, I know sometimes when we talk about a new idea or a new process or whatever, we'll go, I hate to ask this, but how? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and as long as, and, and here's the thing, as long as you, you flush out the answers to the what questions, which we'll get to in a little bit, but as long as you flush out those answers, or like you said, even answer some why questions first, then it's perfectly appropriate to talk about things that are practical. So I'm Absolutely. not saying, we're not, we're not saying that these questions are always wrong. They, they are not. They're, they're very good questions. And, and really, in some cases, can and should be answered. It's just a question of when. Right. They're, like you say, they're ill-timed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the other thing he points out is it, it, when you ask a how question, it also assumes that you don't know. Um, and, and it kind of lets you off the hook. And, and, and he, I love this uh, picture he paints. He says, we become the blind man looking in the dark room for a black cat that's not there. <laughs> 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 with these how questions. Right. And, and it's a really good point. Well, let me tell a, a story about this first one, this how, how do you do it? Because this is one that, that really profoundly impacted my career. I was doing an implementation of software at a company that had a warehouse in Brooklyn. And the warehouse manager was a guy named Frank. And Frank, <laughs> Frank was an interesting guy. Frank was on the taxi squad in the uh, late – 50s, early 60s for the New York Giants. Mm. He was a big dude. I mean, okay. like really big. 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, you know, in his prime, he was probably, you know, 230, but he had ballooned up a little bit and it had gone south on him. But still, this tremendous guy. I mean, he was a warehouse manager and the reason why he was in the warehouse so long is because he was moving stuff for a long time and <laughs> that's how he kind of kept in shape. Right. right? Anyway, we were doing this implementation, and what Frank had to do, Frank had to, uh, he had to do inventory transfers, right? Which, 
I know you don't do a lot with technology, Ron, but an inventory transfer in any system is probably the easiest transaction to do. It's only five pieces of information, right? Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. right. It's the date, which is usually today. What inventory item are you moving? Where Where are you moving it from? Where are you moving it to? And how many are you moving? Right. That's it. And there's no GL effect, right? It's yep. usually because I don't have anything broken out. So it's extraordinarily simple. Well, Frank over and over again would ask me, how do you, how, how, after we did the, and we called it training at the time, now we call it education. We did, we went through it. Frank would call me again. Ed, how do you do an inventory transfer again? I'm like, Frank, do we, didn't you write it down last time? He goes, oh, I lost my notes. And I, you know, I went through this whole thing where I printed stuff out for him, big, you know, he, click here stuff. Uh, you know, Frank was the type of guy, he had his username and password on, you know, on a sticky note on his monitor, right. <laughs> you know, Frank, you can't remember your daughter's name. <laughs> you know, come on. <laughs> uh, but anyway, he, and he kept calling. I mean, it was like weeks. How do you do it, Ed? How do you do it? How do you do it? And what I learned was, and this is from Peter Block's other book, which is the, the flawless consulting was that I finally realized that I was encountering resistance. Right. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, I said, Frank, clearly, look, you're a smart guy. I know you to be a smart guy. Clearly, this is just something you just don't want to do, right? And he paused, and for about 45 seconds, there was just absolute silence. And I thought I was going to be a dead man because I'm pretty sure that Frank could have reached out, killed me, (laughs) and buried me where nobody would ever find me again, (laughs) But I, I actually saw it physically leave his body, Ron. I actually, he, he kind of, his shoulders went down and he just, he turned to me and he said, you know, Ed, you're right. He said, I, I thought I was going to be able to retire before having to learn a expletive deleted com- computer system. Oh, wow. Right. And so, so now we got to the real problem, right? Sure. Sure. And, and I say, so Frank, um, how old are you? And he goes, 58. I'm like, well, when do you want plan on retiring? He goes, 65. Oh, I said, uh, I said, I'm not a math major or anything, but that's seven years. <laughs> do you, do you really think that we're not going to do this implementation because the warehouse guy is not going to enter inventory transfers? And he goes, I suppose not. And now this is the, the transformative moment. I, I was now able to ask him questions. I said, well, F- Frank, what do you want to do? What, what should we do? And he said something to me that I will always remember. He, he paused. It wasn't quite 45 seconds again this time, but he paused and he said, I'm ready now. Would you show me one more time? Mm-hmm. And I showed him. And Frank became like inventory transfer fiend. He was running around the warehouse screaming, give me inventory to transfer. I, I am the master of inventory transfers. It, it, it had profoundly changed him because he finally let down his guard. And it was because I was able to help him transform the question in his mind. I, I couldn't just ask him the question. I was a, hel- helping him transform the question for him, which went from how do you do it to, and this is the first transformation question, what is the f- refusal I have been postponing? Right. Right? What, what is it that he didn't want to do? And until we got to that point, 
he there was no way he was ever going to learn because he had a, it was like a mental block. I guess is the way to talk about it. Sure, sure, and and yeah, his resistance was the real root cause of the of the issue. Yep, it's not that he couldn't learn. He was he was not a stupid guy, right? right. He was a a big hulking bulking man, but he was not stupid. But he just he just had this had this resistance in him that he, that he couldn't make the transformation. That's what's so interesting about uh, Block's framework with all of this is, you, you know, we certainly are not talking to stupid people. I mean, they're really really smart. They tend to be professional, highly educated, lots of years of college. It's it's not that they don't have the intellect. It it's it it usually is something else, whether it's fear, resistance, or you know whatever. But there is usually something else going on behind the scenes. Yeah, there's always something else. It's it's always something else with with, with this, especially when dealing with resistance like this. Right. And and you know one <clears throat> one of the things Block talks about is in the how do you do it question is you know he says if you ask that too soon, obviously that you're skipping over, is this worth doing at all? And, you know, I spend a lot of time in, in my books or in, in classes talking about why you should do something and trying to make that that case very clear and reasonable and logical. And I think a lot of people sit there and are wondering, okay, that's all well and good, but they're jumping automatically to the how. How? How do you do it? Mm-hmm. And they're not thinking about, should you be doing this at all? Is it worth doing? Correct. So, so th- yeah, uh, great story, Ed. I, <laughs> that that's the the how do you do it? And then you're and then Block is proposing that you change it to what refusal have I been postponing? Correct, correct. And we will get to the other questions in this series, and we'll post a slide up there that has all of Bond there. But we'll talk about the transformations after our next break. But in the meantime, if you want to get a hold of us again, it's pound t s o e on Twitter. Also, you can email us at tsoe at verisage.com and to get show notes, including the slide that ha- will have all of these how versus what matters questions on it, please visit verisage.com slash tsoe. And now a word from our next sponsor, Azamba. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. What if you could close more business with less effort and do it faster? What could your people accomplish if they had their own personal assistant keeping track of meetings and reminding them of follow-ups? What would it mean to have a perfect view of what your team and your prospects and your customers are doing? What if you could run your business from anywhere? You can have it all. Visit www.azamba.com forward slash soul today to find out how. That's azamba, A-Z-A-M-B-A dot com forward slash soul. The way we do banking today continues to evolve. No longer is it just brick-and-mortar locations or traditional bankers' hours. Today, banking is 24-7. It's in the home. It's on the go. It's digital. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how traditional banking as we know it has changed due to a loss of trust, changing economic conditions and consumer behavior, government involvement, and, of course, technology. What does it all mean? 
Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. are tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit verisage.com you may also tweet us at verisage that's v-e-r-a-s-a-g-e now back to the soul of enterprise well welcome back everybody we're talking about peter block's book the answer to how is yes and just as a reminder uh, you can always visit us at verisage.com slash TSOE. We will post show notes, so we will put up the, the Ronald Reagan speech that we were talking about, the YouTube uh, of that talk, and we'll uh, also give you the questions from Block's book and, and what the better questions are. And as a reminder, if you want to contact Ed or myself, you can always do that at TSOE at verisage.com. You can follow the show live on Twitter at hashtag TSOE. And then we do have a, a couple questions from um, listeners as well. And, and maybe towards the end, we'll deal with at least one of them that I think Reed Holden answered uh, last week on our interview with him. So oh, great. I, I want to give a shout out to Paulos for on, on that question and, and let him know that, that I think Reed answered his question. But we're talking about the the six questions that Peter Block says that people usually ask when confronted with some type of a change program. And we've gone through the first one, how do you do it? And Peter Block says instead it should be, what refusal have I been postponing? What's the next question? Well, the next question is, how long will it take? And the transformation is, what is the commitment I'm willing to make? Uh, just a brief word on this one, though, Ron. The, uh, professionals especially, but I think a lot of folks in business in general mistake the question that's usually asked of them, how long will it take? Sometimes the, the, the question that when it's asked that way, some people interpret that as the effort question, right? Right. That's what they're interpreting. And how long will it take as well it, from an, for how long is it going to take you? And they, you think that they're asking about effort, but oftentimes they're really not, um, especially if it's a prospect situation and a sales type call. If a prospect a- asking you how long is this going to take, it's usually a good sign that they want it. In other words, what they're really asking is not a question of effort, but duration. In other words, they're saying, when can I have it? That's what they want to know. Yeah, right. yeah that, that's a really, really important distinction. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. And misinterpreted, like I said, by professionals mostly, but I think a lot of people in business. So whenever you even hear that question, you have to, you have to qualify it, uh, or I'm sorry, clarify it as to whether you're talking about effort or duration. But the transformation really becomes what is the commitment I am willing to make? So it's not so much about how long will it take, two months, six months, whatever. That's, that's unimportant. The question is, is are we committed to it? Right. And just a, for example, I mean, to get like a, a, a war, right? If are, are people really committed long term to it? That's a great question. Are we really committed to the long term uh, in, in, in things and not just the, the short term uh, what we have to do for today? So the, the commitment goes on longer because if, if you're really committed, it, the answer to how long it t- is going to take doesn't matter. Doesn't, doesn't matter. matter how long. <laughs> I, 
You know, when I first was uh, discussing this book with, uh, again, Paul O'Byrne keeps coming to mind because I think we had many discussions because he, he read this book too, Ed, and it had a profound impact on him. And we were in Yosemite. And I remember reading about a guy, there was a video in the in the gift shop about a guy with no arms and legs who, or, or maybe he had just one or something. I, I forget the exact details, but he climbed a very steep mountain in Yosemite. And, and, and I thought he probably didn't start with, how am I going to do that? He, he was committed to do it and he just figured out a way to do it. He, mm-hmm. you know, he, he was willing to, to, to pay the price. That's right. And, and, and it, you know, it, cause really the, the, Hidden question behind how long will it take is oftentimes if it's too long, then the answer is no. Right. But there's no context for what's too long. And the trouble is, is that you're almost being set up when you're asked the question, how long is it going to take? Because it doesn't matter what your answer is, because if they say six months, you can say, well, that's too long. But if they if you say three months, they could say, well, that's too quick. We can't move that quickly. So, right. It doesn't matter what your answer is to the question. It can always be spun as a reason not to do it. It doesn't matter the answer. That's true with all of these how questions, no matter how good your answer is to any one of the six, it can always be shot down. That's right. For whatever reason. And that's what I found absolutely profound about this. So his, and, and by the way, Ed, uh, your, your distinction between effort and duration is absolutely profound. And I think the other thing about how long will it take just, and this is the accountant in me, I apologize. Um, but I think people are trying to compute an ROI too. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So the third question, how much does it cost? (laughs) How much, I mean, how often do you hear this, you know, and block is suggesting, um, that you change that to what is the price I'm willing to pay, but you've changed it even further. Yeah, there are two questions that I have made some adjustments to, and I wrote a blog post on this. We'll be sure to put it up on the on the show notes where I was disagreeing. Not not disagreeing, I think just furtherance refining. of my thinking. Yeah, refining, and it's more for me. I mean, uh, maybe, and just as a suggestion, but I change it to what is it, what is the value of it to me? Because it, you know, we always talk about cost, we talk about price, and then we talk about value. And I believe that the, the, the question of value is the one that's more important. In, in other words, what is it what is it worth beyond the price that I'm willing to pay? Right. Right. So this is a question of, and here's one of those big words again, efficaciousness, right? right? Not just effectiveness. So it's because it's it, the, the, the price is, yes, I'm, here's the price I'm willing to pay, but that means that in our parlance anyway, or as we think about it, that the value is higher than that, and I want to spend some time thinking about that. Right. Yeah, good point. And then this fourth question is, how do you get those people, those other people to change? And boy, how many times do we hear this? Usually, you know, if you're dealing with professional firms, at least you're dealing with partnerships. And usually you might have one or two of the partners in the educational session. And they'll say, well, how do, how do I convince my partners to make this change? And it, I always responded, why aren't they here? Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> this, this question, though, this is the the... the one that I, when I usually talk about this in consulting theory and practice, I say th- this is the question that if you know you can transform this one as a consultant to, and uh, what Block suggested transformation question is, what is my contribution to the problem? So I'm going to say that again. We get the person to change their thinking from how do you get those people to change 
to instead ask themselves this question, what is my contribution to the problem? Now, a couple things on this. I say that this is the one that you know you have arrived as a consultant when you can get a leader in an organization to make this shift because this is not easy. This is the manage, this is the, of the six questions, this is the one that, that goes to leaders and managers the most. And one of the things that is inherent in the question is the use of what I call, well, I don't call them this, this is what they are, a collective noun, those mm-hmm. people. Right. Right. Those people. S- sales just doesn't get it. Operations always, is always screwing things up. You know, wh- whenever you hear a, a collective noun like that, you know that it's it's a setup. It's again, it's a setup for 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 some kind of a, a game that's going to be played. I mean, this is what we hear uh, even in coming out of Washington, the administration, right? Or even will the collective noun Washington said this, like yep. the whole city, right? <laughs> 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 you know, or scientists believe, right? So that this this complete use of the, of of a collective noun. In, in any kind of a belief statement is patentedly false because not every single person believes that. So that's the first clue that, that this is being set up. But to get people to transform to what is my contribution to the problem, man, that's really hard because it's, just, it's for, the, for them to take a step back and say, well, what is it that I do that continues to enable the behavior of, quote, those people? Right, and the example that I usually talk about is is in putting, say, in a, a CRM system. One of one of our sponsors, a, a Zamba, specializes in this, and uh, the this whole idea of a CRM system, in many cases, is we're, we're putting this into practice because we want to get a better understanding of what is coming from the sales team, right, and right. better exposure to pipeline and all this stuff. Well, if the lead salesperson won't use the system if that's it doesn't matter the technology that you're substituting in you're never going to get the simple system implemented because when the lead salesperson isn't going to use it it means the boss whoever the you know whether it's the vp of sales or or organiz- or ceo of the organization they're never going to fire that eagle salesperson right never yep. <laughs> so the so contribution true. so the contribution that the leader is making is in saying well if i allow the behavior to continue in one of the salespeople, it's going to mess it up for everybody else in the organization and that's their contribution to the problem their inability to step in and do something uh, and intervene where they should be it, it confronts them with their accountability doesn't it exactly exactly <laughs> and, and, their, the- and their freedom <laughs> yes. Yeah. Same thing. Right. <laughs> As blocks taught us. Uh, the fifth question is how do we measure it? And blocks original transformation question was what is the crossroad at which I find myself at this point in my life or work? But you've changed that again. Yes, and it's mostly be- because of my work with you, Ron. Is I, I, the transformation question that I liked a little bit better? And actually, I really have to say I'm completely conflicted about this one. I'll explain why in just a second. But that what I've changed it to is what is the judgment I need to make? Yep. And mostly because, as we've discovered, we believe that all measurements are judgments in disguise. Right? What it yep. is that you're selecting to measure is a judgment, and then. 
you're making a making everything else is a belief statement based on that, right? So it's a right. judgment, even though you don't necessarily realize it. But why I like the judgment question better is, is I think it's more clear. Now, curiously enough, Peter Block, uh, in one of his later books that we'll perhaps talk about at some point in the future, community talks about the the need for ambiguous questions <laughs> mm-hmm. and the fact that we, they should be ambiguous. And because it may, because it gives people much broader um, a, a broader swath to perhaps pursue. So in in my clarifying it to what is the judgment I need to make, I might be messing myself up <laughs> from from really getting a, a a larger, better answer. And um, I think so. I think Block is onto something. So I'm I'm conflicted about this one, but I for them for now anyway. I'm going with what is the judgment I need to make. Right. No, I like that. I mean, Block points out about this that you know, it, no matter what measurement you put, measures don't measure values, and and I think that's a really important point. The most important things in life can't be measured, right? Love, respect, beauty, art, poetry, music, whatever. So, folks, uh, we need to take a break and. Uh, Listen uh, from our sponsor, Sage. But again, if you want to contact Ed or myself, do so. At, uh, you can email us at tsoe at verisage.com. You can follow the show live on Twitter at hashtag tsoe. And uh, if you have questions, we'll be happy to uh, a- uh, take your questions and hopefully get to them uh, on the air. Sometimes a guest can answer a question for folks, but uh, we're happy to do that. So now let's take a listen to our sponsor, Sage. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Four new employees. A 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Calling all CFOs, finance, and risk professionals. Your call to action is to help your company achieve financial excellence. How? Master risk management, cost control, and strategic decision-making by implementing game-changing technology advances like mobile, in-memory, and cloud computing, and more. Where? Learn from top thought leaders each week on Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Join us for Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, on the Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to the soul of enterprise. Well, well, welcome back, everybody. We're talking about Peter Block's book, The Answer to How is Yes, and his six how questions. 
and he offers a transformational question instead that he thinks are better. And the last one, the sixth question is, how are other people doing it successfully? And Ed, this kind of goes back to the whole benchmarking idea. You know, mm-hmm. we, uh, <laughs> we can only do something if, if somebody else has done it first. Lawyers are especially good with this because they're such a precedent-driven um, profession. Somebody else has to do it. Nobody wants to be the first penguin to jump, you know, off the iceberg. Um, so Block's transformational question to this is, to what do we want to create together? Right. And I, I, whenever I, I, I think about this one, how have other people done it successfully, the thing that pops into my mind is the Wright brothers, right? I just have this imaginary story in my mind of, of them traveling on the train from Dayton, Ohio to Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, and Wilbur saying to Orville, so – Orville, um, how how has anybody done this powered man flight thing successfully? And Orville saying, well, you know, Wilbur, I was doing some research at the Dayton Library, and there was this uh, Icarus Daedalus thing back in uh, ancient Greek times, and that didn't work out so well. I mean, the guy crashes and burns into the river, so that was horrible. Leonardo da Vinci, perhaps the greatest human mind that has ever existed, uh, created four or five different, quote, flying machines. Uh, the only one that gets off the ground is the thing called the heliocopter, which uh, gets off the ground by kind of hopping more than anything and, and within about 30 seconds destroys itself because it just continues to crash. And right. Wilbur's saying, yep, well, you're right, Orville, the hell with it. Let's just go back to the bicycle shop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the things Block points out, and it's a philosophical point, but I love it. He says, when we follow fashion and ask for steps and recipes and certainty, which is kind of what the how questions are trying to do, he says, we deny our freedom, for we are trapped by the very act of asking the question. He says, freedom asks us to invent our own steps, to be the author of our own experience. And then he, he, he puts a dot on it by saying, asking how is an escape from freedom and accountability. It's like wishing to go to heaven and not die. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> he gets really deep. Like at, at one point in the, in the book too, I think he says like the reason why we ask all these how questions is because we don't want the ultimate change, which is we don't want to die. <laughs> That's really, it's all. <laughs> but Yeah. But. And, and, and he talks about the, this concept of the idealist and an idealist is one who follows their ideals, even to the point of impracticality. Mm-hmm. Right. The willingness to pursue our desires past the point of practicality. You know, it's kind of like the heart wants what the heart wants. And he, he says we don't spend enough time talking about faith in enterprise and dreams. And this was something I pointed out Ed, in, in, in the book Measure What Matters to Customers. Uh, I think it's the last chapter. I called it the dreamers versus the pentometrists, you know, the people who measure for the sake of measuring. And the analogy that came to my mind was the signers of the Declaration of Independence. Can you imagine Tom Jefferson being asked these six questions? Right. Before somebody puts their signature on the Declaration (laughs) of Independence. So, Tom, how are we going to do this? How long is this going to take? How long is this going to cost? I mean, it's all, you know, how are we going to get those people to change? How are we going to measure success? How have other people done this successfully? And, you know, the answers are, I don't know. I don't know. What's it going to cost? Possibly your life. I don't know. I don't think you can measure life, liberty, and in the pursuit of happiness, right? They're non-measurable. Right, right. They're values. And no country has ever done it successfully the way we are proposing. Sign yep. here, Ed. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it, it's ludicrous to think about how questions in that context. 
And and when you think about that, I mean, here's this group of individuals who created a new country based upon a radical idea, and they weren't asking how questions. They were committed to it. They they sacrificed their their sacred honor, their life, everything, and put it all on the line because that's the price they were willing to pay, and they were committed to it. And that takes us full circle back to the Reagan clip and our new opening. This the, this is exactly what we're talking about. There the, there are people in business who believe that that business is a science. It's hard, right? The hard nosed business person. That's what we hear. Right, and the the data that is we well, we need some data on that. What's your data point? It's stop. It's it's not science. It's art. It's creativity. It's new. All transformation is by definition hasn't been done. There aren't practical answers to this stuff. They don't exist. Otherwise, you everybody would just do it, and everyone would be successful because they just apply the freaking formula. Right. I mean, Block points out that our organizations are dominated by the mindset of the engineer and the economist. And what's needed is the artist. You know, the engineer and the economist thrive on order and the artist is repulsed by it. The artist loves chaos. And that's where creativity and innovation, because, you know, as we've said over and over, innovation and creativity should always take us by surprise. It should never be planned. That's what's, that's the beauty of free markets and capitalism and creative destruction or market tested supply and innovation, however you want to say it. But that, but that's the beauty of it. Yeah. And, and what's more, what's more, what's more you can't know, right? If you, if, if we, we knew to invent the wheel, we would have invented it already, right? There's, you, it's, it's an infinite loop, <laughs> right? You're, you're, you're stuck in it. Yeah. But, and it, the other thing he points out, too, is he says one of the – and Drucker makes this point, too. One of the beauties of volunteer organizations is that they know how to take advantage of people's gifts and their possibilities, whereas organizations are more concerned with people's limitations. You know, we're going to design the factory, as Henry Ford said, so the worst among the men do the least amount of damage. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just insane. It just blocks off so many possibilities of, of free – creativity and, and human imagination. And, and I want to tie this just back to something I believe eminently practical, and that is in any kind of a project that you're working on, and we, and we talked about this, uh, talk about this a lot, the triple constraint of project management, which is scope, cost, and time, right? And notice that there are two questions on that triangle that are, that are how-based questions. How much does it cost and how long is it going to take? They are without question part of that triangle, Well, the other question is scope, which is what do we want to create? It is this last question, this last transformation question. Scope is not a practical question at all, right? It is is a future-driven, idealistic question about creating something that does not exist. And so – and when I talk about this in terms of project management, I said, well, which one do we answer first? Cost, time? No, we have to answer first, what is it that we want to create? And once we fully flush that out, then we can turn our attention to costs and and timing. But first, we've got to flesh out what we're going to want to create. And the last thing I want to mention, Ron, uh, by the way, we're only, we only talked about the first 25% of the answer to how is yes, which right. is the beginning part of the book. So I just want to stress there's a lot more in there. And one of the things that in the, that's in there that has always fascinated me is what – he calls the MOASC. Um, oh, I'm sorry. The 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 mother of all questions, um, and and the the mother of all questions is this: What is the question that if you had the answer, 
would set you free? And he yeah. says, this is an imponderable question. You cannot possibly answer this question and be satisfied forever with your answer. And it's just a great, great way to begin thinking about that. What is the question that if, if you had the answer would set you free? Yeah. And that sets us up sort of for next week's show, Ron. So tell us a little bit about next week. I, I am so excited about next week's guest. We have on Rabbi Daniel Lappin, the author of Thou Shall Prosper, and his latest book, which is The Business uh, Business Secrets from the Bible. And he's written many other books. He's actually a radio talk show host in his own right, Ed, here on Terrestrial Radio in the Bay Area. He comes on every Sunday morning at 5 a.m. Uh, I, I, I listen to him religiously. Uh, like he says, everybody needs a rabbi, no matter what your faith. And if you have no faith, you definitely need a rabbi. Uh, th- this man is just a font of wisdom when it comes to human behavior and just understanding what, like the show, what really matters. And I'm just so excited to have him on next week. So, Rabbi Daniel Lappin next week. See you in 167 hours. Thanks, Ed. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, feel free to visit us at www.verisage.com/tsoe.